spank me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's like a level of thought you that goes Dakota into. Johnson I'm scared of you chilling. too. I'm so scared. Hi, I'm Rachel Handler, and welcome to Lady Problems, where every Thursday, me and a rotating crew of ladies look at the way that pop culture treats women with the women who make pop culture. This week, my co-hosts are Hazel Sills. Hello, Hazel. Hello. And Teo Bugby. Hello, Teo. Hi. So we're going to talk about Fifty Shades Darker, what the actual fuck this movie is supposed to be, and how it relates, or rather does not relate, to some of our favorite BDSM films of yore. Later, we'll talk to our friend Katie McDonough from Fusion about her investigation into Stephen Miller's dick voice. But first, on Monday morning, Teo and I took to the streets to visit Kylie Jenner's pop-up shop in New York City, and we asked the important questions like, do you know who Kylie Minogue is, and what would Abraham Lincoln think of Kylie Jenner's pop-up shop to her many rabid supporters? Here's a little taste of that to catch you and Hazel up. How old are you guys? I'm 13. I'm 11. <laughs> Why aren't you guys in school today? Um, because of this store. <laughs> yeah. Did your parents say it was okay? Yes. <laughs> what do you guys love about Kylie? That you can... I just love everything about her look. I love her makeup, and I'm really inspired by her. What inspires you? Um, just that she's only 19 years old, and she's become such a popular, like, an idol. Like, people, a lot of people look up to her. What do you love about Kylie Jenner? How motivated she was to make it by herself. She did it by herself. No, like, help from anyone. So today is Abraham Lincoln's birthday. What do you think Abraham Lincoln would have thought of Kylie Jenner's lipstick line? Um, he probably would have thought it was irrelevant. Yeah, but he'd probably be proud that somebody, like, this world actually, about what it's become, somebody's actually doing something. Like, she's 19 years old, so that's young to have a business. So, like, nobody really has a business when they're 19, and it's been so successful, so it's, everybody should be proud of her, how far she came. Why aren't you guys in school? My mom let me stay home, because I really, I really want to come, and we just got report cards back, and I did really well. Once in a lifetime experience, so... (laughs) Wow, this line is long. We're really, literally around the block at this point. Walking up here, Kasha was like, oh, do you think that they're just not going to be there? I was like, no, Kasha. (laughs) Where's the actual entrance to the store? (laughs) Do you guys know who Kylie Minogue is? No. Do you know who she is? No. No. Do you you know who Kylie Minogue is? Yes, I do. What do you think about the uh, Kylie versus Kylie name controversy? Honestly, I think she should be allowed to, you know, trademark the name. Why, why do you feel that way? Because she thought of it first. You know, <laughs> just because somebody else didn't like it, they shouldn't be allowed to block it. <laughs> I'm 32, so I know who she is. Tell me about uh, your feelings on Kylie Minogue versus Kylie Jenner. It's kind of weird because, like, Kylie Jenner is more in the now, so everybody knows who she is. Like, Kylie Minogue, a lot of people really don't know who she is. Like, the last song I heard from her was that Can't Get You Out of My Head song, and that was, like, 15 years ago. Unfortunately, I'm telling my age, but... So, she's really not relevant anymore, but I understand the name's the name, so I would be kind of pissed if somebody tried to use my name and tell me I can't use my name, so I get her on that point. I understand her. What uh, draws you to Kylie Jenner now? Um, 
I've been keeping up with the Kardashians since it came out. So, and when she came out with the makeup, I kind of liked it. Like, it's a good formula. So, I stuck with it. Isn't it wild remembering like early seasons of Keeping Up with the Kardashians when it's like baby Kylie like spinning on the stripper pole? I was thinking about that when she was on the stripper pole. She was like nine on the stripper pole, right? Like, I mean, but with a mom like Kris Jenner, why not? If I had Kris Jenner as a mom, I'd be on the stripper pole too. Like, hey, so right? Like, I'd be excited. Like, 10%, no problem. She could have it. What do you think about her thick line? I don't know how I feel about that because yeah. she's kind of skinny. <laughs> like, I'm excited for it, though. I mean, like, no, I know for myself to wear it. Like people who are thick are probably gonna buy it, but for her to promote it is like, uh, I love you, Kylie. Don't think anything wrong about this. <laughs> I'm just being real. So I couldn't make the pop-up shop because I was too busy writing about the Grammys. Mm-hmm. So did did teenagers know who Kylie Minogue is? Is that is that something you found? Short answer, no, they do not, Hazel. (laughs) Fortunately for everyone, especially for Kylie herself, I've listened to enough solo Kylie Jenner in the last week to keep her going for another 20 years. (laughs) Teo's been going hard. I've been going really hard, yeah, Yeah, like all the way down the rabbit hole. (laughs) Like back to like 90s Kylie, 80s Kylie. Teo, do you want to explain the the drama for people who might not be familiar? Right, so what happened last week was basically that A court case, one of the most important in our uh, turbulent times, (laughs) was settled uh, between the two Kylies, the Warren Kylies, Warren Peace. um, And Kylie (laughs) Jenner had filed a trademark to trademark the name Kylie forever, at which point Kylie Minogue was... She pitched a fit, <laughs> sent a a like a her own countersuit, basically, and said, as a breast cancer survivor, humanitarian, and artist, that Kylie Minogue is the real Kylie. And the courts decided, yes, Kylie Minogue is the one. She She's owns the real Kylie dot com. Dot com still is. A thing that counts for something. It does. <laughs> she has like 3,000 albums. Yeah, she has a bazillion albums. <laughs> that span genres. Approximately. I think she's the sovereign ruler of Australia. <laughs> True. That's, and, that checks out. And basically, yeah, so she, she claimed her throne um, and Kylie got a pop-up shop. True. And it was quite crowded. I will say the most unsettling thing um, that happened at the pop-up shop was that everyone we talked to who was, like, from age 11 to probably 19, I would say, except for that one woman, um, thought that Kylie was an inspiration. They all were like, she's really inspiring to me. Um, and I was How? like, why? <laughs> it was it was disturbing, but it was also like, oh, look, you tender little souls, like, able to project humanity onto anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, they were like, she's inspiring because she's so young. She's 19, and she has this empire. And she's beautiful. Right, right. Yeah, it was a little sad. Right. I mean, it's like I don't have I don't want to police anybody's, you know, inspirations. But to see this 11 year old, you know, being waiting in line for these lipsticks and being like, I'm inspired by Kylie Jenner just made me it made me feel like a mom a little bit. I was like, oh, strong brow game. will do that (laughs) (laughs) to teens. It's true. (laughs) Like it's true. Yeah. And I was surprised, too, because, I mean, you you made a good – both of you made this good point that this is more of, like, an internet conversation about her appropriating black culture. She has this new clothing line that just says thick on it. Um, and, you know, I, whenever I asked people what they thought about that, they seemed to have no idea what I was talking about. Like, why would that be a problem? Didn't think it was weird at all. Right, right. I guess it's up in the air how much people are looking for Kylie to define 
their intellectual discourse. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know that a lot of people take Kylie super duper seriously. Mm -hmm. Even the girls who were, like, little and about to go buy her lipstick. Except I think people, once you get into the, like, built-in empire thing, people do take that seriously. Mm -hmm. I think they take it more seriously with Kim. Yeah. um, Because she does, you know, she can be on the cover of Forbes magazine. And she had, like, this crazy successful app. Right. And the tech industry was like, oh, maybe we should take Kim Kardashian more seriously. <laughs> it's funny, though, because last night I was at dinner with my dad and one of his friends who was, like, very dismissive of the Kardashians. And I felt myself getting extremely defensive. No, it's true. I get defensive of them to a certain extent. Yeah. And I also get really critical of them in the opposite. Exactly. It just depends who I'm talking yeah. to. I was like, she made a million a minute. <laughs> I just wish there was a, like... <laughs> There, I just feel like when so many so many people I meet who don't like the Kardashians, they they sort of blame like every terrible thing that's ever happened on them, and it's insane. And that's how why I get very defensive. Mm-hmm. It's like they're not Satan, right? Like no, they're responding to the culture. Like yeah. no, I mean for example, this guy walked up to us while we were in line interviewing people, and he was holding a pizza box. It was nine in the morning. He was holding a pizza box and a giant full gallon of water. Yes. Polar Springs. And he looked at us very dismissively and was like, are you interviewing people about makeup? And we were like, yeah. And, and I mean, that just proves the point of like that's a lot of people think that like the Kardashians are responsible for everything about womanhood that's wrong or like that they forced us to like buy makeup. But that's not the issue in any capacity. Right. Without actually thinking critically about makeup or right. yeah I don't care about any man's opinion on makeup <laughs> I mean straight man who doesn't wear makeup yeah like, it's true what I don't know what it is you're holding a pizza box at nine in the morning dude there's just like an entire like bubble of men examine yourself who just want to talk about how makeup is evil right and that you know like take a girl swimming on a first date like fuck <laughs> you <laughs> Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that is a lying. real thing. Our Wait, producer Kasha is giving me a crazy look. That is a real thing. Like, you, sh- you should just search that on Twitter right Holy now. Holy shit. So you can, like, see what she really looks like? Yeah, or then there's a whole uh, a whole bunch of men who think that, like, the Kardashian look is natural. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, that's... Like a na- that's, like, not that much makeup. And I'm like, are you? That is, like, 40 products. Right. Anyway, the moral is men like makeup. <laughs> and so do we. And so do we. As we speak, I'm wearing bright green eyeliner. Yeah, I so, love it. So, like, fuck everyone. Is it green? It's like, I would say it's like turquoise green. I'm into it. On Friday, all of us saw Fifty Shades Darker. It was quite an experience. Uh, we, we went packing some champagne in a coffee mug. And uh, we all had our own unique feelings and um, erotic notions about the film. Hazel, do you want to begin? Well, first of all, uh, I orgasmed like 20 times wow, during watching the movie. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> That's 20 um, more times than Anna did. <laughs> um, yeah, so I thought the movie was generally a lot funnier than the first one. Um we were sort of talking about this before the podcast, but I felt like the movie sort of struck a good like middle ground between being a serious, sexy movie if you wanted it, or sort of like a campy, jokey film if you wanted that, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Like I just felt like um, Anastasia's character in particular was sort of like the audience response to whatever's going on and 
anytime there was like Christian, you know, brought out some weird, you know, I don't know. Leg spreader. Yeah. <laughs> what is- mm-hmm. Nipple clamps. <laughs> yeah. Nipple. Benoit yeah. balls. And all, you know all the things. <laughs> I know all the things. <laughs> but anytime he brought something, like he would, be, he would be like really sexy about it. And then Anastasia would be like, that's not going in my butt. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, so I never felt like, oh, this is so serious or trying too hard to be serious. It felt like it was kind of in on the joke. It definitely, that's, I think, Versus the first movie was extremely self-serious. Yeah. This is a new director, James Foley. Um, ironically, a man took the material less seriously, which I don't really know how to feel about that. But um, it definitely was more self-aware and there were more, like, jokes in the film, I think. But at the same time, I, right, like, you could watch it straight, I think, without really noticing those things. Could could you? Yeah. Could somebody be turned on by this movie? Oh, my God. The woman okay. next to us was so turned on. Yeah. So we sat next to a group of women who one of them was right next to me. And right before the movie started, she typed a Facebook status and she was like, getting my Christian Grey time with my girls. And they were into mm-hmm. it. And when <laughs> sex scenes ended too soon, they you could just see they were like disappointed. They were like, oh. Right. Why didn't we no, get more of that? That's what I mean, though. It's like even if you were into what was going on on screen, like it, that's maybe five minutes of the movie total. Like True. it's not really about I was it's a two hour movie and you feel every minute of it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I would say two of those minutes are sex, like five of those minutes are sex. Well, it's funny because I read an interview with Marsha Gay Harden, who plays oh Christian's my mom, God. which we will get into. I orgasmed 20 times, but they were all in between <laughs> Marsha Gay Harden throwing a drink in Kim Basinger's face and Kim Basinger flaunting off with like... No, she a, slapped her. Well, she sla- She threw the drink in her face first. That was that was Anna. Oh, you're right. Sorry. I, it's get all it a right, blur. Teo. It's all a blur for me. This is important it stuff. Was the drink between the drink and like the handkerchief that got... <laughs> Thrown into the air, a la like a duel in the Count of Monte Cristo. Yes. <laughs> that was me. That was my time. That was the best part, unparalleled. Um, but like, so she, I guess she got in trouble in interviews for making too many jokes about the Benoit balls or like about the nipple clamps because she was like, oh, the producer or the studio is marketing this as a romance. They don't want me to market it as like a sex romp. The movie is going to make more money mm-hmm. and have more appeal if you can sell it both ways. If you can sell it like the you know, the sexy, serious romance and then also like, you know, a camp, a camp object. But that's hard for me to believe considering there's a scene in the movie where Anastasia gives Christian a pint of ice cream to describe their new relationship and it's Ben and Jerry's vanilla. Right. And she's like... You have to say it the way she said it. I don't remember. (laughs) It's your new favorite flavor. Oh my God. Vanilla. (laughs) <laughs> I'm literally ill. I'm I'm nauseous. Oh my god, that was really good. I went to a different screening from you guys. I just want to share my best moment for yes. my audience, which was you get through the whole movie. Christian Grey, by the way, to begin with, is a lunatic. Like yeah. he's like a just a complete bizarre human being. But then you get to the end of the movie, and finally, it's like his big romantic moment where he like drops to his knees and is like, no, I'm not a dumb. <laughs> and the woman behind me has, like, made it through the leg spreader, made it through, like, the Benoit balls, made it through that scene where, like, he, like, fingers her in the elevator. but like with To Van the- Morrison. 
to Van Morrison, but like I don't the the angle, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I, just, I didn't I understand. Wasn't sure, I was like, where is your hand going? Though <laughs> the best part of that scene uh, was when he was like, "Don't come." Yeah, and it it's like, been good luck. Twenty seconds, <laughs> and she looks like so pained. She's oh, like, "I yeah. was so close." <laughs> Anyway, that woman made it through all of the ridiculousness of this movie. He drops to his knees and she uncontrollably starts laughing and goes, what a weirdo. (laughs) (laughs) That was it. That was the breaking point. She couldn't take it. I think he's hot. I'm going to say it. I think he's hot. I can't. I don't think he's hot. But also, I before I even saw any of these movies, I watched The Fall, which is the the TV where he plays like a serial rapist murderer. (laughs) (laughs) So when I see him, I I don't think Christian Grey. That like adds to his appeal. (laughs) I think. (laughs) I'm like, but he's also a serial killer. I know him from his like two scenes in Marie Antoinette. Because I'm high class. <gasps> right. oh. He was hot in that. I'll give him that. No, no, he's still no, not hot. Period in that. garb. He has yeah. a really yeah. I don't say this about many people and I think it's a kind of mean thing to say, but I'm gonna say it anyway. He has a bad smile. I'm gonna throw it out there. Ooh, when know. do you even see the yeah, smile? I'm trying to picture it. He smiles a lot because every time I thought, Oh God, just stop that. <laughs> he never smiles in the first movie. He really doesn't. That's like it's actually his performance is stunningly different in both films. There's no there's no like sense of there's no like sense of rhythm in the movie. Like there's no sense of like all of the things that you need to actually get off. <laughs> so it's right. just like like gym bodies mm-hmm. bumping against <laughs> each other and like getting like flipped over by your leg spreader. You oh, know what yeah. I mean? I will say I was like a little turned on by that, but like in the same way that I get turned on in like Mission Impossible movies when they bring out all the gadgets. It's like, oh so my God. Like, yeah, the sex Such scenes were like action sequences. <laughs> yeah. They were like, here's the yeah. gadget. And then it's like, boom. And it's just like bodies flipping together. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah like yeah. the part of me that really likes like like Rube Goldberg machines <laughs> was like, oh, into this. <laughs> so you were like sci- technologically turned on. Yeah, right. I The thing too is that it's not really a BDSM movie. Like there were there was no... Like even the spanking, I did have questions. Yeah, it's like what's happening here. I I think this movie, like the sex scenes, were not BDSM-y, but the movie in general, like obviously, you see a lot more. Um, you see the extent to which Christian's like uh, dominant personality can hurt people Mm because you get a glimpse into his past and hurt people, hurt people. <laughs> <laughs> That should be the tagline. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we were talking, too, about how, how like, actual BDSM movies differ so vastly from this film. So let's first uh, – first let's talk about Secretary, which um, was – it's a movie with Maggie Gyllenhaal and James Spader. And that is, like, legit BDSM shit. But also very quirky. Right. It's, like, kind of a quirky, oh. kooky – Funny. Yeah. Yeah. I'm your secretary. I'm your secretary. Just one scoop of green potatoes. But like she is has a saddle on her and she has a carrot in her mouth. Yeah, and she that movie because I, I just watched it for the first time last night. Um, that movie is interesting to me because. 
both her and James Spader's character are coming to the realization kind of at the same time. Right. Yeah. It's that, new for both of them. That they want this relationship. And I thought that was really interesting because he's sort of disgusted with himself and is, you know, not sure why he even wants this or if it's right. And that's something you obviously don't get in Fifty Shades at all. Yeah. Like it feels like there. it's not like, here's my contract sign it and she's like no it's right. it's like it feels you know the way most people negotiate sexuality every yeah. day um yeah secretary i think succeeded in every way that this movie failed like that 50 shades darker failed i think it was funnier it was sexier it maggie gyllenhaal is so hot yeah she is and even james spader was doing it for me a little bit even james though, spader is hot I'm like sorry. i never thought he was hot yeah. before really pretty oh. in pink no sex oh lies in videotape Mm-mm. Oh, wild! What? Sorry. This <laughs> only man for me is Christian. Gray. He only he only ever plays. <laughs> James Spader like only ever plays those like He's intense like creep. sexual yeah. creeps that you're like. <laughs> so the piano teacher is another movie that was on our syllabus. That one was a real mind fuck, and I enjoyed every minute of it. I love it. It's with our queen who pair. Yes, um, the official queen of lady problems, and my king Michael Haneke. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to unpack that later yeah there's a lot of yeah. questions I have but they're probably not appropriate for yeah. this podcast <laughs> we do have boundaries this is bigger than a lady problem yeah. <laughs> uh, okay so yeah The Piano Teacher just to break it down I guess is a movie about a woman who has had like this lifelong fantasy of like a, an extreme masochism um, and she's a piano teacher at like a fancy school somewhere in I think Germany or France. I don't know. I think it's Berlin. Oh, in Berlin. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. guess it's. But anyway, she falls in love <clears throat> with like a student and they he's interested in her. But she basically comes to him and is like, no, listen, the only way this is going to work for me is if you rape me. Or you just beat the fuck out of me. While my mom is in the next room. Yeah, while my because she has a weird thing with her mom too. Yeah, yeah. yeah and it ends. I mean, without spoiling <laughs> the ending, but it, I think it's like a sort of misfiring of like what happens when two people are trying to negotiate and completely miss each Com- other's points, mm-hmm. All and the way. everything just is like fucked up and destroyed. I will say, the piano teacher is a movie that I really, really love, but have a lot of political reservations about. Mm -hmm. I just find the movie dismissive of her for having those fantasies to begin with um, in a way that I have a really hard time forgiving it for or I resent it for that. But at the same time, that resentment for me becomes a layer of interest in watching it. It's like interesting to watch something and be like... Okay, Michael Haneke. Yeah. Like, you're being a bit of a dick about this. Totally. But I think it's also very much like you project your own um, experience of that movie onto that movie because it's— It's very distant. It's so distant and Mm -hmm. it's so vague. and There's no real judgment, I don't think, laid on any of the characters, even the ones who behave horribly, like, without question— by the end, you're like, you don't know what his position is really on right, all of it. Yeah. And so you're forced to make your own. And you own. don't even really know what her no. position is either. No like, you don't know if it's like, to- if it's she feels that it was satisfying. Mm-hmm. Or- yeah. I feel like throughout that movie, I'm I'm sort of rooting for her. Totally. <laughs> to oh, yeah, wants. no, totally. And yes. then feeling weird about rooting for her because it's she is such a fucking weirdo. Right. Okay. 
Katie McDonough is a politics reporter at Fusion. She's also our friend. She wrote a piece called, Why Does Stephen Miller Sound Like Such a Dick? So obviously we wanted to talk to her about it. Uh, Katie, tell us about your piece. <laughs> Hi. Um, so I think that the the origins of the piece are pretty straightforward. I think a lot of people saw either that uh, exchange with George Stephanopoulos play out live, or they maybe saw it in a clip on Twitter later. And the bottom line is the president's powers. And that is something that is magnificent because somewhere across this country today, there is some young child facing some unknown danger. There's all kinds of things we can do. I'm not going to make news today by announcing what our strategy is going to be. I can't remember a time, George. And correct me if I'm wrong. This is such a great point. I don't have any information one way or another to add anything to this conversation. There was just something that was really familiar to me about Stephen Miller's voice, and I'd never heard him speak before. Um, and I just thought, you know, he just sounds like a lot of the dicks that I've known in my life. <laughs> and I feel like we there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot that's been written. There's a lot of social science that's been produced on women's voices and what it means to speak a certain way as a woman. Does it alienate people? Does it draw people to you? And so I wanted to helpfully produce a little bit of pop uh, analysis on what this particular cadence uh, from men is. And we ended up, or I ended up landing on uh, dick voice or asshole voice. Beautiful. Um, what specifically struck you about his voice? So there is something about both the register of it, uh, which it didn't strike me initially that this is what it was. But after I interviewed this guy, John West, who's a speaking coach about what specifically Miller does with his voice, I'm doing it right now. He drops it. He drops it at a register that's actually a lot lower than his natural speaking voices, um, which I think is one of the um, one of the signs that we established was a sign of dick voice. Huh. Um, Very he, mask for mask. <laughs> he also. Um, the tone, obviously, is one of real, it's very kind of dripping with condescension. I think some of the stuff feels really intuitive, but to see it all in one place maybe makes it feel a little bit more authoritative. Like this is the quantifiable dick voice. This is what it sounds like and this is what it does. Should we all speak in dick voice for the rest of this interview? Actually. Um, <laughs> so when Rachel and I heard his voice, you know, we also thought of men in our life or our in our past, yes. hopefully in our past, <laughs> um, that sort of have this this dick voice. And I'm just curious, like when you think of that sort of man that reminded you of Miller's voice, like what what is he like? What who is that guy to well, you? I saw a lot of people have the response of like he's that guy in your college class, and I think that was felt very familiar to me. Mm -hmm. um, I also, as a woman in journalism, I think this might shock some people, but I recognized it professionally. Um, I have heard Dick Voice in journalism before. Um, so I feel like it's just, I think, in all different pockets of our lives, we have heard, you know, different versions of Dick Voice. And I think as a woman reporter who interviews politicians, who interviews people who have, like, some authority and power, there's something about uh, that I've found in the tone of the way that people speak to me that's often feels quite dickish mm -hmm. um, and which I'm happy to let them do. Um, as a reporter, I'm not really there uh, to kind of create that. I'm not there to like push back and be like, I'm just, if they want to be condescending, that's going to come through in the piece. Mm -hmm. And I think it's almost sometimes an asset when men want to do that uh, in conversation. So I think it's just been, yeah, it was just like, in, like immediately familiar to me because it almost is if in every walk of my life that I've met someone who sounds this way. Yeah. <laughs> 
It's funny with Stephen Miller, too, because he, like, it's not only the content, but it's the content delivery. He's the total asshole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, like, how does this tie, how does dick voice tie into mansplaining? Like, do you have a dick voice if you're a mansplainer? Do you always mansplain if you have a dick voice? Yeah, so I think this is one of the more nuanced things that we really got at in the piece. <laughs> um, which is that, like, I don't think everybody who's a dick has dick voice. And mm-hmm. I think that you can, someone can speak to you. Someone, I mean, and again, I think that West does a really good job of articulating this is that like if you were to even extract out the content of what Stephen Miller says which I think is like very on its face dick stuff like (laughs) egregiously so excuse me um that you that the tone itself kind of like beyond the content is this condescension it's just it's not appealing it doesn't draw people in um and it was also interesting in the sense that like West is a speech coach and and he helps people who want to cultivate an image for themselves um, and so who want to use communication in the the register of their voice and their word choice to communicate their brand, their message. Um, And he really touched on a lot of these sort of anxious masculinity things um, in Miller's delivery and what this kind of voice does, um, which is that this is someone who is overcompensating, who's trying too hard. So he it's just that it's very clear that he is trying to be authoritative and because he doesn't have the actual facts on his side. So he's talking about busing people into New Hampshire <laughs> um, and widespread voter fraud, which is not true. Um, he has to kind of project this authority that just doesn't exist um, in the content of what he's saying. So it's like this um, it's it's an anxious kind of it's like a there's something anxious about it or mm-hmm. in, insecure about it, I think. Yeah, there was that line in your piece about uh how he's sort of cl- he clenches his tongue when he speaks, and I was like, it just sounds so uncomfortable. It does. Like you're it's cl- really you're, visceral. Yeah, yeah. you're really trying there to sound <sighs> like an authority. The thing that was really interesting about thinking about Miller's voice and thinking about other voices that sound like this is that Donald Trump has like a super distinct way of speaking, which I don't. I it 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 does work on some people. It actually is charming or works or feels direct. Um, in a way that other people who are politicians don't speak. And obviously that was a big asset for him during the campaigns. And um, But I feel like we, when you look at someone, and this is something that was, um, you know, John West said in the piece too, which I found to be really interesting, was that you have a team of people who are under Trump who don't have that quality, but are still trying to do the same Trumpian shit. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, are we allowed to curse on this? Oh, yes. yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> So they're trying to do the same thing, only they're not pulling it off and they're sounding like dicks. Yeah. I mean, like Trump's masculinity is fascinating to watch and to watch him perform it. Um, And this like thing of like negging or whatever. I feel like so many of his campaign, you know, kind of slogans were negging, you know, Mm -hmm. we're um, we don't win anymore. Um, You know, we're we've become like a country of losers. And I think that it was almost as if people were like, wanting it they were like letting it like like, wash over them and being like it's true we have become like a nation of soft losers um and so you have this kind of like alpha male cabinet um the christian grays it's okay you can call them yeah i was gonna say this ties into like america is a sub america is anastasia Steele. 50 united states of gray (laughs) (laughs) holy shit wow holy shit you did it that's my idea no one take that idea I'm writing that. That's my book. That's my erotic fiction coming up. Oh, man. Thank you so much, Katie. Oh, my God. Thank you for having me. Do we want to all sign off in a lower register? Yes. please. Yes. Um, Thanks, Katie, for being here. It was great to be here. 
Thanks to my co-hosts, Hazel and Teo, always a pleasure, and to our guest, Katie McDonough, politics reporter at Fusion. I'm Rachel Handler, and this was Lady Problems. And we would love to solve your lady problem. So get in touch either by following us on Twitter at Lady Problems Pod, or leave us a message on the Lady Problems hotline at 205-677-5239. That's 205-677-LADY. See you next week. This episode of Lady Problems was produced by Michael Catano, James T. Green, Mukta Mohan, and Kasia Mihailovich for the MTV Podcast Network, with additional engineering by Little Everywhere. You can subscribe to this and all of our other shows on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you find your favorite podcasts. Thank you.